why don't we have a word of prayer and then I'll share with you what I'd like to try to accomplish in our time together and hopefully that you will find that edifying. So could we bow our heads? Father in heaven, we believe that uh, you and your son come very close at times like this where we come together to know how to better serve you and in particular how to share you. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit will be present in this room, this whole gathering this weekend, Lord, and uh, be in every heart and mind. We're going to talk about a lot of principles, and we just pray the things that we do discuss that we'll remember, and then even more important, help us to apply them to our lives. So be with us now and bless, and we thank you for this opportunity to share together. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm starting out a little embarrassed, but it's probably good to be humiliated <laughs> just before you begin. Uh, I thought we were starting at 345. And uh, anyway, my time with you, I'd like to dedicate to talking about some of the principles of one-on-one -on -one witnessing. ASI, of course, is about evangelism. First, can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Just want to make sure. Um, time permitting, I may actually pass around this microphone and uh, right now I'll just turn that off to prevent feedback uh, and take questions and again I do not consider myself an expert but I'm going to share with you what I have learned what seems to work for me and uh, I think it's worked for some others uh, when it comes to how do you share your faith on a one-on-one -on -one basis you know when you're in public evangelism people come to church you stand up, you preach, they're expecting to hear you talk about God and religion. That is actually easier than when you try to strike up a conversation with someone on the airplane. And I'm just like you in that uh, sometimes I'm afraid. I'm not sure what to say. You don't want to be annoying or obnoxious to people. But at the same time, uh, I think we should establish some basics. If you look in your Bible in John chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles with you, John chapter 3, and, uh, you know, we could read verses 1 through 3. This is, of course, an audience where Jesus is doing some one-on-one -on -one witnessing with Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus dives right in and says to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, one reason I'm starting with this verse is because it's establishing a principle. There are a lot of people in the world, and most of those people are not going to be in the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So there is an urgency to our helping people understand what it means to be born again. Uh, our sharing our faith with people is not sort of a, an interesting hobby or a novelty. It's a question of life and death. I heard about a man a few years ago that was working in the drive through window of a Taco Bell and uh, there was a lady that uh, was, he could look over his shoulder from the window where all these cars were lined up and they're putting in their orders and he saw a lady had come to the counter that was great with child 
And she let out a yelp while she was standing in line in the store, and uh, she went into labor just right away. Well, he told, he was manager, and so he told someone, call 911. He went out to see if he could make her comfortable, and the next thing he knew, he was catching a baby. Well, of course, I took a little time to, away from the drive-up window, and people were very upset that their drive-up orders were being delayed. Um, and they were complaining. Now, was that appropriate to complain? He had to stop and deliver a baby. What's more important, human beings or pinto beans? <laughs> There's a priority in life, right? Isn't it more important that people live forever? Does Jesus give us these priorities? Matthew chapter 28, 18, the last words of Jesus should be a first priority for his followers. And he spoke to them saying, all authority, power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, now notice that he's telling us we can go and we can share for him, why? Because he's been given all power. We're not going alone. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So he's telling us to go to everybody, everywhere. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. We're to be able to teach them comprehensively what Jesus taught. And then this is the wonderful promise at the end. When you go for God, you go with God. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So there is no time, there is no place that he is not with you, especially if you are going for him. So if you are willing to be used by God, then he will work with you. Think about when God looks down on this earth, what are his priorities? When he sent his son, why did he send his son? To seek and to save that which is lost. And so how important is it to the Lord that people find out about salvation? Let me word that differently. Is there anything on earth that is more important to the Lord than people finding out about salvation? So if this is the priority with God, will the Lord help those that are willing to cooperate with him? So when I get scared about sharing my faith, I try and remind myself this is something that is very precious to the Lord and God seems to intervene. Now that doesn't mean that every time you line up with someone in a market waiting to be checked out or you sit down next to a stranger on a bus or an airplane that the Lord is going to provide an opportunity for you to make a gospel presentation. Um, I look for those opportunities. Though I admit, sometimes I've gotten on airplanes and I'm so tired, I hope nobody will talk to me. I'm ashamed to tell you. you you've probably had those days too. <laughs> but uh, I remember I, I had a little rest on my first flight coming here yesterday. So on the second flight, I thought, oh, Lord, I've got an empty seat next to me. I'll, let's see what you arrange. And sometimes I've got Karen and the boys in that seat, but this time it was going to be um, just whatever happened. And this young man came on the plane and he kind of nodded that that was his seat next to me. And I thought, oh, good, you know, he looks like a prime suspect. <laughs> and as soon as he sat down, uh, he put on his seatbelt, he pulled out of his little backpack a beanie, you know, a, what do you call him, beanie? Yamaka. No, not a yarmulke, a, 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 you know, ski mat, a ski hat, 
we call them beanies. In Canada, they call them toops or toops or something. He pulled on, you know, one of these, and he pulled it right down over his eyes. And he slept the whole time. And I thought, how am I going to talk to this guy? He's just blinded the world. He just... So, you know, the prior flight, I was able to visit a little bit with the, the lady there. And, but, so you pray for opportunities, but you don't want to be obnoxious and you don't want to feel like everybody that you pass going by every day, their eternal destiny weighs upon you. I've met young Christians who thought the world is lost and if I don't tell them, they'll be lost. And they've almost felt like they had to stop everybody on the street and grab them by their shirt and say, do you know the Lord? And that doesn't work very well either. And you don't see Jesus doing that. And so you, you need that balance of praying for and being ready for the opportunities God gives us. And he'll give you opportunities. Now, I, want to, uh, I just want to establish why this matters. If you look, for instance, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other... For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So for people to be saved, how important is Jesus? There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. If people are going to be saved, anybody who is saved is saved by Christ. Let me give you one more verse on that theme. 1 John 5:12. He who has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. So it's kind of a frightening thought that everybody that you see every day is going to fall into one of two categories, life and death. Some people, well, first of all, all have sinned, right? And the penalty for sin is death. And so the whole world is under a death penalty. And if they don't have Jesus, they are still terminal. Now, as a Christian, God is giving you, in the blood of Christ, the serum for the disease of the world. You've been given the, the healing antidote for the sins of the world in presenting Jesus in the gospel, right? So, shouldn't it be a priority for us to look for those opportunities to tell people, if they don't learn about Jesus, what is their destiny? Now, you might be thinking, well, if I don't reach him, he'll just reach him with someone else. If they're meant to be saved, you can think like a predestination Calvinist. If they're meant to be saved, God will do it however he wants to do it. And it is true, God has ways of overruling, but this is a very big question. Are there people who will be lost because God's believers, Christ's followers, did not share the gospel with them or did not pray for them? Are there people who will be saved because we did? If, if, if you think it doesn't make a difference, then why share? It is a question of life and death, and there are people who will not be in the kingdom if we don't care, and there are people who will be in the kingdom because we do care. And so this is a very important basic for us to get straight in our minds. Does God answer prayer? Are there prayers that God does not answer because we don't pray them? Are you with me? Are there prayers that don't get answered because we never prayed them? Are there people who will be lost because we didn't reach them? That's a scary thought, isn't it? Were people on the boat going to drown if Jonah did not fess up 
and offer himself. They were on their way down. And so recognizing this is very important. And not only is it a question of life and death, it's a bad death. It's judgment and death. And so there's an urgency that I often don't see among Seventh-day Adventists. You know, I used to go to a Baptist church and Pentecostal churches before I was an Adventist. My father was raised Baptist, but he pretty much gave up on it. But, you know, they believe in never burning fire, ever burning hell. And I don't believe that. But, you know, something they have in their favor, they do believe that their doing missionary work is going to save people from the flames. And so it's very motivating for them. And um, so I think sometimes we need to be reminded that this is the most important thing in the world. Uh, would you agree with that? Sharing our faith. And so that sense of urgency. Now, I've had to pray before. And I'm just being very honest and open with you. Lord, help me love people more. Because if I love people the way Jesus loves people, I think I'd work harder and better to try and do what I can with my gifts to reach them. And all of you can say the same thing. Not everyone does public evangelism, but everyone has been given gifts that the Lord wants us to use in reaching people. Now, when you fish, sometimes you fish with a net. You've got a couple of stories in the Bible where Jesus multiplied their catch and their nets were full. So they threw out a net and you brought a whole gob of fish in at one time. It's like public evangelism or it's like when the preacher's preaching. But then sometimes you fish with a pole. You remember one time that um, some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Peter and they said, does your master pay the temple tax? And he said, well, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does. And uh, Jesus confronted Peter later and he said, uh, well, you, are you speaking for me? He said, tell you what, Peter, since you promised we're going to pay that temple tax, I want you to go fishing and go down to the water and cast your line in and whatever fish comes up it'll have a piece of gold in its mouth and so uh, he was fishing with a pole that time where before Peter was fishing with a net by the way when Peter had financial needs he went fishing and I think some churches are struggling financially because they're not doing evangelism it always worries me when a conference or a church says we don't have money for evangelism because if, if you're not bringing new people in, you start to think about one new soul and how much tithe that brings into God's work over a period of years. And then the people that person reaches, not to do evangelism is not the way to grow financially or numerically either. So didn't mean to go down that road. But um, in any event, sometimes you fish with a net, sometimes you fish with a pole. Jesus not only preached to the multitudes, he preached to the individuals. And you'll notice that we just started with an example of an individual here talking about uh, Nicodemus. Christ was preaching. It was a personal um, interview. Now, one of the most important things is when you are doing that or when you're willing, every day, pray that God will give you the Holy Spirit for a number of reasons. One is to recognize those opportunities. You know, some people, they're just, they're, they've got this radar where they always are looking for an opportunity to bring a conversation around to Jesus. Uh, you, you all know people who um, are just very, what's the word for it, 
they've got the gift of hospitality. And whenever they go to a dinner, they're always looking at everyone else's plate saying, oh, you're out of this, you're out of that. Do you need a napkin? You want your drink filled? It's like they got this natural. When I sit down and eat, all I think about is my food and my drink and my napkin. And I think these people are so care, they're so uh, sensitive and they're so concerned and they're so um, interested in everybody else. It's almost like a gift of hospitality. They're always looking for other people's needs there at the dinner. And it's almost the same thing with soul winning. Having a sensitivity for when uh, opportunities open up to share our faith. Be praying. Let me give you a few verses that talk about that. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he might abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, have, you know him, for he dwells in you, and he will be with you. Now, what is the main reason God gives us the Holy Spirit? So we can speak in tongues? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will speak in tongues. Why does Jesus say he wants to baptize us with the Holy Spirit? And you will be witnesses to me. What happened immediately after the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? What happened? Paul, they started preaching. They started talking about the wonderful works of God. People were converted. People were baptized. Here's a thought. Maybe God has given you a special baptism of the Spirit in the past, but you didn't use it, and so it evaporated. If you want the Spirit of God to be in you and to stay with you, use it. It's kind of like um, a farmer had someone from the city that came to him one time, and he said, uh, I bought myself a country house. I'd like to buy a milk cow, and I heard you might have an extra milk cow. And he said, well, matter of fact, I do. I'll be happy to sell you my cow, and it's this much. And so the city man bought the milk cow, and he, he said, yeah, it's a good milk cow. Puts out, you know, three gallons a day. And he bought the cow, and he um, put it in his barn next door. A few days later, he came over, and the city man was complaining to the farmer. He says, that cow's not putting out hardly any milk at all. And the farmer said, well, are you, are you milking it every day? He said, well, I milk it when I need milk. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, if I need some for my cereal, I'll go get enough for my cereal. So if I get where I want a drink of milk at night, I go milk enough for a glass of milk. He said, oh, brother, that cow's going to dry up. He said, if you want that cow to keep providing a lot of milk, he said, you got to milk for all you can get twice a day. And, you know, I think it's a good illustration for the Holy Spirit. If you don't use it, you lose it. God gives us the Spirit for witnessing. In the process of witnessing to other people, we ourselves are filled. We are cleansed. Something happens to us. Your working to save others is part of your conversion process. I'll never forget when um, Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. And I thought, when you're converted? Peter had already been out teaching and preaching, and Jesus said, when you're converted. You mean Jesus sent the apostles out teaching and preaching, and they were still arguing among themselves which was the greatest? 
because part of their conversion process was sharing what they did have with others. You know what the first step is in doing evangelism? Knowing something that someone else doesn't know about God that you're willing to share. If you wait until you know everything, when will you start sharing? You'll never share. And, you know, I hesitate telling people this, but the first few Bible studies that I gave, I was in the mountains in a cave and I didn't have any clothes on. And you're thinking, well, how could you give a Bible study like that? The people I was studying with didn't have clothes on either. And I knew so little about Christianity, but I learned a few things and I was so excited. And there we were at the campfire, a bunch of naked hippies studying the Bible together. And you know, even then, I know the Lord was there. And I didn't know much, but you know, if you share what you do have, he gives you more. And I had learned some things I was so excited about it, I couldn't wait to share it with somebody else. And obviously we did a study on dress reform and that, that eventually changed things. But um, you've got to start where you're at and start sharing your faith. So that is part of your conversion process. More on the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I said to you. You know, every Sunday night we have a radio program and I don't have a photographic memory. Actually, I've told people I do have a photographic memory. I just don't have film. It's my problem. <laughs> and so whenever we have the radio program Sunday night, we kneel down and, you know, we bring in the, the station engineer. She's not even, you know, she's not part of our church, but we invite her to come in. She comes, she joins us, we kneel, we pray. And part of almost every prayer is, Lord, we don't know what questions are coming in tonight. We don't, none of us, Pastor Ross or I or whoever the guest speakers are, we don't have photographic memories. It's like a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with thousands of people listening every Sunday night because people call in and we don't know what they're going to ask and I'm always afraid they're going to ask questions about Ezekiel's wheel within the wheel or something. I just have to say, I don't know. But we say, Lord, bring to our remembrance the answers. And sometimes I'll be thinking, they'll ask a tough question and I'll be praying, I'll look at John Ross and, and he'll put his finger up and it means I, I, the Lord gave me something, I've got an answer for that. Or I'll, I'll say, I think I got something on that. And, and we're just winging it, we're just praying every week. It's like a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. And the Lord, it's, sometimes we look at each other and go, oh yeah, I forgot all about that. And God just gives it back to you right there at the moment. And you know it's the Holy Spirit doing it. Because if you had quizzed me 10 minutes before about my knowledge of the Bible, I never would have thought of that verse. You know, the first time I learned this principle is uh, I was a baby Christian and I learned about the Sabbath truth and I was studying about the law with some Presbyterians and this man was a youth pastor, he was a missionary, and his wife. And I was telling him what I'd learned. And he was saying, we're not under the law, we're under grace. We don't need to keep the Ten Commandments. And he quoted me a couple of difficult verses out of Galatians. And I thought, but you know, I know it says in the Bible that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I, I had no idea where it was. And I flipped my Bible open, and there it was, John 14. I said, what? it's right here. And then he said something else. I said, but I know it says that his commandments are not grievous. And if we say we love him and we're not keeping his commandments, we're lying. I don't remember where it is. And, and I opened my Bible. And the first place I opened my Bible was there in 1 John. 
And through the whole Bible study, and I finally started telling the guy, I said, boy, this is, I said, this is the Holy Spirit. I said, I don't know where these things are, but I keep opening my Bible. There they are, the first thing I look at. And so I know, I learned then, the Holy Spirit will guide you. You got to pray. Now, the Holy Spirit will not bring to your remembrance the things you've never looked at. Sometimes he'll reveal principles to you, but if you're not studying your Bible, I mean, God will do wonderful things in bringing those recessive brain cells and thoughts back to the surface. But if they're nowhere in the storage, so you need to do what you can to be reading God's Word and keep those things stirred up in your mind. And you know, it's a little easier. When, when things are not too buried for too long, you can remember them. And so the Holy Spirit promises to help you with that. Another one, John 15, 26. But when he, the helper, comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit is going to help you tell others about Jesus. Now, if for no other reason, I would think it would be a thrill to be involved in being able to share Jesus with other people and uh, just see the Holy Spirit working in their life and just see the circumstances. I was in... Um, I was in, what was I, Seattle last week, not even a week ago. I went to the British Columbia camp meeting, flew home, had a long layover in the Seattle airport, wanted to get something to eat. It was right at lunchtime. All the tables were full. The place, the airport it was just jammed with people. And so I had my tray and I had my backpack and my, my luggage and I'm trying to find a place to sit down before I drop all my food. And all the tables are full. And I saw this one table where there was a pilot sitting and there was a chair and it was empty. And so I walked over and, and I kind of asked, you know, uh, he said, oh yeah, come on, sit down. And so I sat down with this pilot. And it made me think about the story, you know, one of the ways to share your faith is you can actually ask a person for a favor. Did Jesus do that with a woman at the well? Kind of getting ahead of myself because that's in the next chapter. We were just looking at uh, Nicodemus. And so while I'm sitting there visiting with him, I think, this is great, I got an airline pilot to talk to, and he was not quite done with his food, and, and he seemed friendly. And so I'm thinking, what shall we talk about? So when you meet a person and you want to start sharing your faith, one of the things you want to do is, how do you gracefully, tactfully, in a winsome way, break the ice and start a conversation? Now. We've all heard people say, it's not important, you know, go out and preach Christ, and if necessary, use words. You ever heard that? Preach Christ, if necessary, use words. In other words, just live the life and hope somehow people pick up the gospel because of the way you're living. Well, it is true, you should live the life, but you know, friends, words are very helpful. And if you're just saying, I'm not going to use words, I'm just going to try and be a consistent Christian, uh, how far would the Bible have gotten without words? Or any of the great sermons or prayers in the Bible? So words are very important. And you want to know, well, what do I say? And some of you, are any of you ever afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing? Or you just feel like maybe I'm not eloquent? Or uh, I, you know, I might say the very thing that's going to offend this person? And, and you, you're looking for a way to break the ice and say something nice. And, you know, that's another place where you need prayer. Everybody here has different gifts. Don't try to communicate like someone else. Be yourself. And then just pray that God will give you an opportunity. Now, there are some guidelines that you can use. 
And some of you have maybe heard about this principle before, and it's called the, uh, well, there's a couple of different ways it's identified. One is uh, fort, and that's, I got my notes all scrambled. Yeah, you got, someone used to have it where it was a Ford, F-O-R-D, and then after the Ford debacle, they changed it to Fort. But the Fort stands for Family, Occupation, Religion, and Testimony. How many of you have heard that before? What that means is if you're looking for a segue, and it depends on how much time you have with someone. If you're looking for a graceful segue, how you can carry a conversation and bring about religious themes that might lead to a Bible study. And you may not in one sitting have a chance to study the whole message. It may open the way where you can give a track. It's great if you've got some Bible study material, a DVD, some study track, and say, do you like to read? And you give them some. And sometimes I'll ask people if they like to read. They say, yeah, I like to read. I give them a book. They say, I don't like to read. I said, do you like DVDs? And almost always, if they don't like to read, they like to watch. And so it gives you a couple of different options. And if you have more time or they're local, you say, would you be interested in Bible studies? Sometimes you're on the road and you just have to give them information, tell them to go to a website. But fort, family, occupation, religion, testimony. You start out by talking about, so are you traveling with your family? Or, um, you know, uh, people always like to, you go to someone's house, they almost always have pictures on the wall. And you can say, oh, you got a beautiful family. And, you know, how many, do you have any children or, you know, grandchildren? And don't ask that question about grandchildren, you know, if they're in their 30s. They could be offended. So you want to just, you know, use tact and... And um, then the O stands for occupation. So you got family. So what do you do? Now, when I sat down with a pilot, I got right into the occupation part because I could see he was an Alaska Airline pilot because he had it all over him. And so right away, I could dive right into the, um, oh, you're a pilot. And I, I talked to him a little bit about that. So what do you fly? And uh, he was telling me 737s. And I said, oh, I'm a pilot. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, so we started to talk. It just opened because you build a relationship with people. They find out you're a nice and a normal person. It develops trust. And then you can start getting into, um, you know, so where do you grow up? Sometimes I'll listen to a person's accent. And matter of fact, I'm probably annoying. Last night, I got in about midnight last night because my plane was delayed. I had to pay two tolls from the airport here. That was just one toll. I pulled up to the second toll. I told the lady, I just put my wallet away and you're asking for another toll. <laughs> she said, yep, that's the way it is. And, and I just said, New York. <laughs> I could tell from her accent. And so sometimes you can say, oh, you sound like you're from the South or, and, or whatever. And just find out a little about their background and say, oh, you're from the Bible Belt. Yeah, it's just, yeah I used to go there. And you look for a way to bring in maybe their occupation or family, and then you can maybe talk a little bit about religion. And I know that's where it gets delicate, right? How do you get into that subject? And uh, you know, that's where it takes a little courage and you might even need something called boldness. Let me just finish this and I'll get to those other points. Family, occupation, this is Fort. Just some guidelines for discussion in starting personal Bible study. R is religion, T is testimony. Now, North American Missions has a similar acronym, they call it CAST. 
same principles, but what they say is connection, build a connection with the people. Activities, ask them what are their hobbies. You might even talk about current events. I mean, if, if you're in an airport, I'm in an airport a lot, so I'm relating to that. You're in an airport, you know, sometimes the monitors are filled and there's just been a terrorist event or whatever. You say, boy, it's really, and you can talk about what's happening with someone. Try not to get too political because that doesn't go well with what your other goal is. And, um, and then you could say, you know, what's the world coming to or whatever. And, you know, I think, I wonder sometimes if the world's going to last much longer. People say, yeah, yeah. And, so, and then that can open the way to uh, talking about things. I'll be in the line at a market and someone will get in line behind me and you're waiting to go through line and I'll just tease them and I'll say, you don't want to get in this line uh, because I always seem to pick the slowest line. I can almost guarantee you. And if I think another line's quicker and I change, it then becomes the slowest line. And whatever I like, and, and I've teased people before, said, I know there's a God. And they say, why? I said, because I always pick the slowest line. Well, how does that help you know there's a God? Because he's trying to teach me patience. And so there's things you could say to be friendly. You can't be afraid to talk to people, though. And that's what makes it difficult. And so that's the other one is connection. It's called cast. Connection, activities, spiritual, and testimony. Now, you'll notice that um, Paul often shares his testimony you can find several examples of that. But I'm not quite uh, done with some of these other thoughts about the, um, the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we can't be afraid. You notice the woman at the well. Uh, Jesus begins to talk to her. Not, I'm assuming we all know the story of the woman in the well, John chapter 4. And what an amazing contrast. You've got John chapter 3. You've got Jesus in Jerusalem talking to a Jewish religious leader at night who comes to him. Then you go one chapter, you have Jesus is now in Samaria. He's talking to a Gentile Samaritan woman in the daytime that he goes to. And so it's just, it's like showing whatever the circumstances, you can share your faith. And in both cases, Jesus is doing one-on-one -on -one sharing with people. One knew who he was, one did not know who he was. One had the religious Bible background, the other one didn't have as much. And so, um, but in both cases, I mean, listen to what Jesus says to Nicodemus. You need to be born again. Oh, here's a great religious leader and he just comes right in and says that and there's no build up to it. Uh, you've got to have boldness to do that. I'll tell you a quick story while we're on this subject. I'm supposed to, what time do I quit? 4.45, that's what I thought. Um, years before I was a Christian, uh, years ago when I was a baby Christian, uh, I had a job, believe it or not, working. I wasn't an Adventist. I had just accepted Jesus. I was excited. I was telling everybody. I was, I was so excited. I was wondering why I never knew these things growing up. I'd suddenly discovered the purpose of life. When I was 17 and 18 years old, I was just fearless. And I made a lot of mistakes just coming on too strong. First few Bible studies I would give to people, I'd be just, have you heard that Jesus said, oh, really? He's coming back? I said, not only that, Saturday's the Sabbath. Well, and I give him a study on that. I go, wow, I never knew that. I said, not only that, do you know you're not supposed to eat pork? I said, not only that. 
So when you die, you're asleep until the resurrection. And they're just they're going, bah, 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 you know, just. If you. <laughs> And the first evangelistic meeting I did, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never been to an evangelistic meeting. I'm doing my first evangelistic, I'd never even been to one. I think the first evangelistic meeting I went to was after this one that I did, evangelist named Monty Beggs. And um, I remember, I, I mean, I was giving them just night after night. It's just, and this is in Dickens, Texas. There's no Adventist church until you get to Lubbock. I had been visiting with people in a Methodist church, a couple of Baptist churches, and a Church of Christ. I had started Bible studies, and I said, I got a tent. I'm going to do a meeting. Will you come? I had 70 people. I was thrilled. That was great. But boy, my sermon topics, I just, Mark of the Beast, Saturday, the law of God, second coming. I mean, I just, I hit them on the rapture. I hit them on their, the day they went to church. I talked about their diet. I'm, <laughs> I look back now and then, oh, my but you know, there was even two people got baptized from that series. <laughs> it, it, that was only two. It might have been more if I had known about letting people digest it and not trying to do it all at once. So don't feel like, I may never see this person again. I got to give them the whole ball of wax, the whole bale of hay in one sitting. Because remember, doing evangelism is like farming. Some are already planting seeds. You might come along and pull a few weeds. Someone else may harvest. You might get them when they're ready to harvest. That's always a lot of fun. You might just be sowing a few seeds and covering it over and just, it'll be years. So don't feel like you've got to do the planting, the weeding, and the harvesting all in one sitting. You notice when it's fishing or when it's farming, and look at all the illustrations Jesus uses about soul winning, all of them tend to involve time. Fishing, so you've got to have patience. And you know, a lot of times, don't get discouraged if you're studying with people one-on-one, -on -one, if one gets away. Do fishermen get discouraged if one gets away? You know, if you're fishing on a line and the people pull a beanie down over their head and you don't get anywhere, you say, I'm just never going to share my faith again. It's too embarrassing. Does a fisherman ever say, if the line breaks, I just won't fish anymore? No, they pull it in, they're annoyed, but they put it back out again. You know why? They're addicted to fishing because they know how good it feels to catch a fish. And if you get addicted to soul winning, it's the same dynamic. Now, that all was starting to tell a story. So I'm a baby Christian. I've got a job playing flute and guitar, which I don't do very well. This is in a restaurant in Palm, uh, Palm Springs. It was called the Peach and the Frog. And uh, I got off work at like 2 in the morning. It was what they called an after-hours restaurant for when the bars opened. There would be the last place in town you could go get some food. And... People thought I played and sang just fine because they were all drunk when they came in anyway. <laughs> so I got off work and I had a little Volkswagen bug at this point and I was driving from one end of Palm Springs to the other and driving downtown there was this man and his daughter, I assumed, sitting at a bus stop. But this is after midnight and the bus has stopped running, at least back then in Palm Springs at that time. I thought, they're waiting for the bus. These poor folks don't know. A lot of tourists come to town. And so I thought, well, I'll turn around and just tell them. I said, hey, if you're waiting for a bus, I said, they're not going to come. They stopped running. And the guy said, he said, no, actually, we called a cab an hour ago and he still hasn't come. Well, I, you know, I picked up lots of hitchhikers. And so I instinctively said, well, how far are you going? He said, oh, we're just, we're going up to the hotel here at the south end of town. I said, well, hop in. 
it's kind of, you know, they, I had a little Volkswagen bug. And so he gets in the front seat and she gets in the back seat. And as we're driving along, oh, no, 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 what happened? They both got in the back seat, which I thought was odd. Because if you've been in the back seat of those Volkswagens, and I looked in the rearview mirror and I could see this was not a father-daughter relationship. So I get to where he directed me and I open the door and he climbed out. He kissed her goodnight, and she sat there in the back. And I said, where are you going? I thought they were going to the same place. I didn't want to be a taxi that night. <laughs> it's late. And she said, well, I'm going to a hotel in the north end of town. I thought, okay. So I'm driving along, and I look in the rearview mirror. She's still sitting back there. And as I was going down the street, you know, you pass a street light, her face would illuminate for a minute as the street, and she looks so sad. Now, I'm going to be very, I don't see too many kids here, so I can be very honest with you. I grew up in New York City. My brother and I used to play on 42nd and Broadway growing up, back before Giuliani cleaned up the city. There wasn't too much you didn't see about life if you were a kid growing up in New York City back then. And didn't take me long to figure out what the relationship was between that man and this young lady. And she looked so sad. And I had just accepted Jesus. I was excited. I was sharing with everybody. Again, I don't recommend what I'm telling you here. I'm just telling you there's a point about boldness. So I said, would you like to stop and maybe get a cup of coffee uh, and, or something? And she said, sure, which I expected she'd say. And so we stopped, and they used to have these restaurants years ago called Sambo's. I don't know if anyone even remembers that. They were open all night long. Ten cents, you could get a cup of coffee. So we went in there, and I talked to her for a minute. And, and then I just I felt really impressed. I just felt I've got to talk to her about Jesus. And I don't know how to bring it up, and I don't know what to say. And I just said, Lord, I hope I can just be as honest and direct as possible. And so I just said, so are you a hooker? And um, that's exactly what I said. And she, she kind of nodded. And then I, then I could tell from the expression on her face, she misunderstood why I asked that question. <laughs> and so then I followed up immediately with, are you happy? And her whole expression changed. And I don't remember all the details of the conversation. I can tell you that I never forgot. Her name was Marlene. And she was 17 years old, a runaway. And she was living with some pimp that would, you know, uh, talk sweet to her and give her gifts one day and then beat her up the next day. And it, it was this real sick relationship. And I started talking to her about Jesus. And she began to cry. I said, you know, God loves you. And I told her my testimony. See, you're supposed to talk about occupation, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> and the testimony. <laughs> and so... Um, I started to share with her, and there was almost no one in the restaurant, so it wasn't that you know, difficult to do. And uh, her, she began to cry, and I remember her thick mascara was leaving rivulets, dark streaks down her cheeks. And, um, and, and I prayed with her, and I said, you know, you need to go to church, you need to get out of this situation. I had to go, and you know, you, I had nothing to share with her as far as material. I wish I had had something to share, but I found that God directed me to be bold and be direct. Sometimes 
when Jesus says to the woman at the well, uh, go call your husband. He's talking about family, right? That's one of those things in that lineup. He's offering her living water. And she, he says, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. You know, like, let's change the subject. And then Jesus becomes very bold. So that's right. You've actually had five husbands. And the one that you're living with right now is not your husband. Now, did he have her attention? Do you know one of the works of the Holy Spirit, when you're praying for the Holy Spirit, what's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit? Conviction. Conviction. People are not going to be very interested in listening to what you have to offer unless they recognize they have a need for what you have to offer. And sometimes in a loving, gentle way, people need to understand. And you've got to gauge it, and you've got to pray. And different people, you don't want to be obnoxious and drive people away. But you do need an element of boldness. It takes boldness even to bring up Christianity today in the conversation. Because never before in American history have Christians been unilaterally maligned by the media as extremists. And you could, you know, you could share people with just about any political or religious view you want as long as it's not Christian. Because they're, you know, it's just sort of uh, looked down upon. So it takes boldness to do that. And I think you need to pray for that. The Bible tells us, notice in, uh, regarding Jesus, John 7, 26. I'm going to give you a few verses quickly. Now when they saw the, I'm sorry, John 7, 26. But lo, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus spoke Boldly. So if a Christian is a follower of Christ, are we going to get the gospel out if we're not afraid to, I mean, if we're afraid to share with people? You've got to start somewhere. I have more regrets looking back about the things that I didn't say than the things that I did say. I got a lot of regrets about things I've said I wish I could take back. But, you know, more times than not, I regret that I had opportunities and I didn't say anything. And so, you know, you're better off saying something wrong than saying nothing very well. You're better off saying something a little wrong or maybe a little too strong than saying nothing and doing a good job at it. Sometimes silence is golden, sometimes silence is yellow. You know what I mean? And you can't always be afraid and just pray that God will give you that holy boldness. The disciples had it. Uh, Acts 4.13 Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So they said, oh, we can tell they've been with Jesus. Why? Because of their boldness. So Jesus spoke boldly. You might say, Pastor Doug, I might get in trouble if I start speaking boldly. It could cause problems for me. You're right, it could. But, you know, as we near the end of time, we're going to have to reconcile ourselves with the truth that people like the Apostle Paul and Peter and Jesus suffered for sharing their faith. So if you're wanting me to tell you that I'm offering this new plan where you can share your faith with no risk, there is no crossless Christianity. There is risk. You might take, it might just be risk of rejection. You might be ridiculed. In some places, you might be arrested parts of the world. The day may come where you may be arrested in our country. 
So I don't want to patronize you and say, this is a new method I found where you can share your faith and everyone's going to accept Jesus and there's no risk. There is risk. But you need to be bold anyway because some people are going to listen and they're going to believe. Amen? Acts 4.29. Lord, now the disciples are praying. Behold their threatenings and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. They prayed in the place where they were shaken. Uh, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's in the next few verses. I left that out. Acts 4.31. So when he filled them with the Spirit, what did they do immediately after they were filled with the Spirit? They spoke the word of God with boldness. If right now you knew that a hurricane suddenly developed and was about to come to this part of Florida and uh, just swoop, scour the streets and people didn't know, would you feel you had a right to be urgent with them as you went out on the streets? And so there's an urgency. People will accept your urgency. By the way, if people sense that you, there's an urgency in what you're saying, they'll take you more seriously. If I were to say to you, uh, this building's about to collapse from a hurricane. See, I just said it, nobody moved. But if you say, did you know? We gotta get out of here, this is gonna be a hurricane, there's a shelter. Well, I'll take you more seriously because they sense that you have a feeling of urgency. And so that's something we ought to also just pray that God's spirit will give us. These things are life and death. Ephesians 6, we all know about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, verse 18 and 19, the last part of the armor of God is prayer. And Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Notice, and for me, he says, while you're praying for all the saints, pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I might open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, Paul is saying, how many of you think Paul was pretty bold? He was asking the church, pray for me that I don't lose my boldness, that I'm not intimidated by the persecution and the rejection and the prison and the problems. I mean, if you're whipped and you're stoned and you're shipwrecked and you're in prison, it might make you want to quiet down. Paul said, I don't want to quiet down. Pray that God will give me that courage, that boldness to share my faith. Let me read something to you from uh, Second uh, Spiritual Gifts 284. Preachers should have no scruples to preach the truth as it is found in God's word. Let the truth cut. I've been shown that why ministers have not had more success, this also applies to everybody, the reason ministers have not had more success is they are afraid of hurting feelings, fearful of not being courteous. They lower the standard of truth. They conceal, if possible, the peculiarity of our faith. I saw that God could not make such successful. The truth must be made pointed and the necess necessity of a decision urged. And while false shepherds are crying peace, and are preaching smooth things, the servants of God must cry aloud and spare not and leave the results with God. You're right, not everybody's going to believe, but some are. And uh, many are called, few are chosen. That really is translated, many are called, few respond, but some will respond. And it feels so good when you see that they do respond. You remember when uh, Jesus shared with the woman at the well? After he shared with her? Um, 
the disciples came to him wondering why he was talking to this Gentile woman. And they said, Lord, you, we got some food for you. We just left a little while to buy you food so you wouldn't get contaminated by these Gentiles. We brought you food and you're talking to a Gentile woman, no less. What's happening here? And they couldn't understand that. And he said, oh, I've got food you don't know about. Jesus was beaming. You know why? He revealed to that woman he was the Messiah. And then what did she do? She immediately went and began to share with everybody in the town. And then the whole town came out and they heard Jesus. And then they believed because they heard Jesus, not just from her. She planted the seed. They came. Jesus then harvested. Whole town is converted because of his conversation with one person. So when you're talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, you are talking to the potential of reaching thousands through that one person. I really became a Christian because a very shy young man who was raised a Seventh-day Adventist gave me some Ellen White books. And to my knowledge, I don't know of any other people he may have that he brought to the Lord. But I became an evangelist. And so when you're studying with person, you might, suppose you study with 10 people and you only get one. But if that one becomes a soul winner, you know the Mormons when they knock on doors, you've seen the Mormon missionaries going out two by two. They tell them right up front, you're going to probably have to knock on 25 or 30 doors before you get one Bible study. They know going into it that they should expect a whole lot of rejection, but they are so happy when they get that one. And then they know from the Bible studies, only a fraction of those will mature into being a baptized Latter-day Saint. I'm just telling you. And yet they go. And they keep going. And they keep going. They're relentless. Is their church growing? It is. Boy, if we could just, you know, they got the wrong message, but they got the right method. Just go out two by two, and they're not pastors that are going, are they? Jehovah Witnesses have no paid clergy. It's the members that are the ministers. They got the right method. They got the wrong message. If Seventh-day Adventists, once the laymen get the, the, the concept that we can go out and we can share our faith, you don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist. Only reason I'm a pastor is because I was a layman that was sharing my faith. And they said, oh, you can't do that. You should be a pastor. And it's like they said, that's, that's out of the ordinary. We better do something about this. This is a layman who's doing evangelism and winning souls. We better make him an evangelist or a pastor. But I was just a layman. And so anybody can give Bible studies if I can. And I'm just like you. I get scared. I'm afraid that they're going to hold up the newspaper when I bring up... I've had it before. You know, in, in my... Because I'm a pastor... Typically, I'll talk to people, ask about their family, where are you heading, you know, are you going home, or whatever, and, and then they'll say, so what do you do? And they'll tell me a little bit about what they do, and then they kind of blindside me, and they say, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Newspaper goes up. Well, it's been nice visiting with you, and that's the end of the conversation. And I kind of, well, you know what really hurts is I say, pastor, they'll say, really, what church? Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, nice meeting you. <laughs> That hurts, I know, but sometimes they don't do that. Sometimes they go, really, what do you believe? Oh, glad you asked. <laughs> well, I've had some great Bible studies because someone said, oh, you're the ones that don't believe in blood transfusions. Right? I said, no, 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 let me explain what the difference is. And, and so all kinds of opportunities will open. But you can't get discouraged if someone closes the door. You know, you do your job. You throw out the seed. Jesus said some seed is going to fall on stony ground. 
Some seed is going to fall among the weeds. Some seed will get snatched up by the birds before it ever sprouts. But some is going to have a bountiful harvest. Isn't that right? And so you've got to keep scattering the seeds, and you're going to be so excited when the ones spring up that do spring up. I wanted to just leave a few minutes. I got a lot more. I only got through one page of notes. I got a lot more I'd like to share with you. But I wanted to give you an opportunity. And I wonder, Todd, maybe, or somebody, if they handle this microphone, if you have a brief question about one-on-one -on -one witnessing, I don't have all the answers, but I'll share my ignorance with you. If um, we just have a few minutes left. Or you, or you can help. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, maybe you didn't come prepared. And if we can't get the microphone to you, I'll repeat your question so it's on the tape. Pastor Doug, we're working with backslidden members in our church. I want to bring them back to the church, but the church is not ready. Should I set up another church? Should I plant a church just with backslidden? Wow. <laughs> I could get in trouble answering that question. But, you know, it is a fact some of us, depending upon the town you're in, if you're in a large town, there's usually a few different church options. Some churches we're almost afraid to bring our interests to because we don't know what some individuals might say to them or what they're going to think. You know, you might want them to get rooted and grounded in their faith and uh, meet with them every Sabbath, maybe in the afternoon, give them a DVD, study with them. And when they, you feel like, you know, I think now they've really got a commitment to the truth and to Jesus, then they can be exposed to the, the bigger family. But it, it, I know what you're saying. There's some churches, and it's different from town to town and church to church. I've been places before where I've done evangelism, and I thought, oh, we've got some wonderful interests here, but there were deep problems in the church, and I thought, what's going to happen to these people? when they walk into the doors of this church with some of the issues they're struggling with. Did they have problems in the church in Jesus' time? Yeah, and yet the church grew. So you just pray, get them grounded, I'd say. You might use a home study group to get them rooted before the other. I just want to speak to his comment. I have found it helpful when I'm doing Bible studies with a perspective, um, someone studying for baptism, Excellent point. It is. All the amazing All the amazing facts evangelists as they get towards the end of their baptismal class, we talk to people about not looking at people that when they join the church, it's a commitment to Christ, that the devil is going to be threatened and he'll try and scare them away. And it's, we explain the dynamic of what it means to be the body of Christ. And there, may, there was a Judas even in Jesus' church. And so we try to just prepare them. And that's a good point. Let them know ahead of time so that they're mature and ready for that. I don't know who's got the next question. I, yeah. It doesn't matter which day we worship on because we're doing it to honor the Lord. And if someone 
is observing a certain day is honoring the Lord. Right. Well, when you are giving a Bible study, the reason it's important to bring up the point of religion, that R, is because if they say, I have no religion, that's going to affect where you go in the conversation. If they say, yeah, yeah, I, I go to church, then you're going to know you're studying with that person. You can talk about things about various doctrines because they've got a Bible background. They've got some context. If you're talking to someone, they say, I just grew up totally secular, they need to first know about Jesus before you get into the Sabbath issue because they don't really care whether it's Saturday or Sunday, they're still in their sins. They've not even accepted Christ. So it takes wisdom. And we got some good Bible study, study material at Amazing Facts that shows how to specifically present the Sabbath and the common arguments you're going to run into. Great website. We're uh, happy and maybe even a little proud to let you know the number one website on the Sabbath is the Amazing Facts website called Sabbath Truth. I think the only one above us is Wikipedia. So if you type in the word Sabbath or Sabbath day on Google, it'll come up with Sabbath truth. It's got some great studies there you can use to answer those questions. A couple more minutes. Uh, just questions. I see you hand over here. Um, or someone already has a mic. Okay. Hi. My name's Joel. And, uh, I came from, uh, from the other Seventh-day Adventist church back home in Iceland. We haven't ever really done any outreach there, but uh, I and two others came here to attend for Jesus. You look like a really good candidate for the AFCO program also. <laughs> so that's a four-month program. And I know Iceland is a very secular society. I've not been there, but that's what I've heard. So it, it takes wisdom. But, you know, even there, from what I hear, you can advertise um, that there's going to be a Bible study a variety of ways invite people to get a small group and uh, you'd be surprised the Holy Spirit's working in people's hearts even in these secular societies that are looking for answers. Okay, another question? Yeah, my, my wife and I are from Houston and a large number of our neighbors and co-workers are Muslim and, uh, and Islam. You know, I, I know their occupation and I know their family. Uh, where do you go from there? Look for, that's a great question. I find I've got a friend I play racquetball with. His name's Ali, and he is a very devout Muslim. He'll stop in between games and I'll, where'd you go? He said, I went to the exercise room to pray because he prays five times a day. He was just playing last week, and he said, I haven't had anything to eat or drink all day, and he's falling down playing racquetball. I said, what are you doing? He said, it's Ramadan. I can't. I'm fasting. I shouldn't be playing racquetball, not drinking any water. And so uh, I wanted to tell him that verse where Jesus said, if you're fasting, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so you look for common ground. And I know with Ali, I'll, I'll share with him certain things that we have in common. He really seems to appreciate. And so uh, just look for common ground and say, no, yeah, there's, there's some things in common. And uh, I said, well, you know, uh, but we believe this and the reasons we believe that. And they believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus was real, but they don't believe he's the son of God. And so look for any kind of common ground to just say, you know, we know you folks believe in prayer and we believe in prayer too. And just anything you can find to open the way and show you respect them, but you have a reason for believing the differences in truth. Uh, another, someone's already queued up here.
That's good. Well, I was, if I had time, I was going to give you a Bible study on a one-on-one Bible study between Philip and the Ethiopian treasure. And that was unique because by the time the study was done, he was ready for baptism. But the reason he was ready for baptism, here's a guy who has gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's reading his Bible and he's in deep Bible study. He already had all the foundational truths. He just didn't know about Jesus. I think it's a mistake if we baptize people before they have the foundational truths. For example, I know and I respectfully disagree. There are some pastors who might say, well, I know they're still smoking, but we should go ahead and baptize them because they've accepted Jesus. And I'd say, please don't do that. Uh, Talk to them. The pastor who baptized me, I said, I love the Lord. I know I'm still smoking, but he said, well, Doug, you're born again. It's not consistent for a born again to still be chained to the devil. Uh, Those addictions and stuff should be put behind. Now, what what kind of witness is it if a person says, I'm a brand new Seventh-day Adventist and you blow smoke in their face? Or you still have a beer in your hand? It, It just really... It's, um, it lowers the standard of what it means to be a new creature, all things made new. So two mistakes people make with baptism. One is they wait too long, and the other is they go too fast. It's like a wedding, and you want to make sure if you're going to marry a guy, he's not still dating his old girlfriend, <laughs> right? And so if a person is still dating the devil, they're not quite ready for baptism. They need to be grounded in the fundamentals. I would say if they can't say yes to those 13 baptismal vows, those things were very carefully developed. They're not ready yet. Uh, yes? Uh, I have a bird for family members, and I have a four siblings, and I was wondering if you could give us some insight about how to reach close family members. I don't know if you have some stories to share about your personal story. I know it's often more difficult with families, but It is difficult. Now, my family was either agnostic, atheist, or Jewish. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I wish I could tell you I had better success with my immediate family. I'm having more success with my Jewish family. I got a phone call yesterday. Some of you have seen pictures of me in military school. I'm standing next to another kid. His name is Bobby Boyer. I got a phone call yesterday. And they said, some guy named Bobby Boyer says he knows you and he wants to talk to you. So I just got his phone number. I got to give him a call. And he's here in Florida. Maybe I I grew up with this kid. I'm hoping I can say something to him. But I know his sister, who's Jewish. These are Jewish kids. She accepted Jesus, Debbie. And I talked to her. So it's hard with my family because it's uh, my family. It was all about money and success and fame. And they just didn't feel a need. And they knew how crazy I was. And they thought, oh, Dougie, you know, he's... He became a hippie and lived in a cave and accepted Jesus. And so it was, they just didn't take me seriously. So you, you need to have a, a respectful relationship with your family and don't nag them. When I first accepted Jesus, I ran to my mo- mother and said, Mom, you're living with a married man. You're committing adultery. It's a sin. You know, and I, I just, I did it all wrong. And that's the other thing, is just pray for wisdom and tact and grace. And if you're witnessing to your parents, you've got to be respectful. It's a whole different thing. Yes?
the, the internet has done something that is really wonderful in that it used to be you had to have a book you could give them or and now we got DVDs, it's smaller. But even with the internet, you can give them a card with a website or a couple of websites and say, this will change your life. Take a look at this. Uh, we like the Amazing Facts name. We got other websites, but the reason is people, they see Amazing Facts and they think, interesting trivia. And they think, well, I've read. But if you tell them, look, these are spiritual facts that will change your life, or there's many other websites, go to this website and take a look. Say, would you, you know, Jesus will change your life. And if you like Bible studies, there's BibleUniverse.com or... So the internet, little cards, is a good way to share information with them. Now they got these devices with your phones where you could tap your phone to another phone and you could send them the website. I don't even know how it works, but I've seen it. Uh, over here, yes. Pastor, I wanted to write out a question. The man has repeated about Muslims. Yes. Right. And they don't believe he died on the cross. Right. They believe it was an imposter. So how do you get around that? Well, you, first of all, you've got to find out how open they are. I've had some Muslim friends that are not real, devout Muslims. And when you contest with them and say, you know, the Bible teaches a different version than the Koran, and here's some reasons, they're open to studying it. Others, you've got to develop a relationship with them and study things that they're more open to before you get to something that they feel like Christianity has been so... First of all, they think many Christians uh, worship idols. They get Protestants and Catholics mixed up, and idolatry is a big no-no for Muslims. And when they drive by our churches and they see, not our churches, but Christian churches, they see statues. So you need to explain, we're different. That Seventh-day Adventists and say, you know, uh, we've got a lot of things that we could share with Muslims. And uh, you know, there's there's a lot of common ground that we could talk about. We believe in the gift of prophecy. You know, they say Muhammad was a prophet. And you share those things. Studying prophecy, they're open to that. Yes? Well, you know, a lot of the common questions specifically that you run into with that group, uh, there is a website, uh, we, we have a website on Ellen White that answers some of those objections. There's a number of them out there. And uh, on the sanctuary, I think that those things are addressed also. I think you'll even find them, it's, uh, I'm just trying to remember, it's Ellen G. White. You need to, ellengwhitetruth.com. I think there's also a section in there because it talks about her visions of this, uh, where she talked about the sanctuary. So that's where it delves into that a little bit. But there's a lot of good material. Others here might know some other good material that just supports that.
I, you know what, let me tell just back to your other question. When I run into former Adventists, there's usually a different problem in the sanctuary. I never ever really run into Baptists or Methodists that I've brought in or other evangelists have brought in that struggle over the sanctuary. For some reason, Adventists really struggle over it. And it's usually, there's a different issue going on there. Because for me, the Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. The Bible is clear when Jesus comes, he's rewarding everyone according to his works. The idea that there's some kind of judgment before he comes, it, it just seems so simple. Jesus is our high priest who contests that. People struggle with that. And I, I could never understand why. So we've got, you know what, I've got a, I sound self-promoting, but I've got a study I did called Advindication, specifically on the judgment where I deal with those questions. It's free online, Advindication. I think it's um, called Justifying the Judgment. All right, we're running. I started a little late, so I'm going a couple minutes late. But a couple more questions, and we'll have to tie this up. This is quick. But the website you mentioned earlier, is that the www.amazingfacts? Yeah. Well, that's one of them. Well, SabbathTruth. SabbathTruth.com. SabbathTruth.com. And the amazing facts. That's just amazing facts, yeah. If you just type amazing facts into Google, it's the first thing that comes up. And, and the other quick question, when I read your book, which really made an impression on me, it's quite an awesome reading. You said at the end that you were pastoring at a church in Sacramento. Are you still pastoring now? I'm afraid so, 20 years later. <laughs> because we have a son in Sacramento who's being baptized in November. And so I wanted to come to your church. But are you there all? I'm usually there, at, uh, probably a third of the time I'm there. Yeah, just you call, you can, you can email the church, we usually put a schedule up, but yeah, we'd be delighted. But you know, when I'm not there, the other pastors are really good too. So, all right, I'd be happy to do that. All right, well friends, I, is there one more question on one-on-one -on -one witnessing specifically? Sacscentral.org. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, the website for the church, sacscentral.org. Any of you ever watch Sabbath School? Sacramento Central? Oh, bless your hearts. Well, thank you very much. Well, I hope we've learned something today. The, the bottom point is we need to pray. While you're talking to the person, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you that radio. Don't be afraid of rejection. Pray that God will give you boldness. Study so that you have information stored away that the Holy Spirit can bring back to your memory. And then start every day and say, Lord, give me opportunities today to tell others about you and help me recognize when they come along. I've prayed before and at the end of the day I realized he gave me an opportunity and I was so self-absorbed I missed it. So you do those things and I think he'll, he'll uh, strengthen and you'll have a harvest. You'll see when you come to the kingdom, maybe you are planting seed, maybe you are harvesting, maybe you are pulling weeds, but he'll give you a harvest. Amen? All right, let's stand together and we'll close with prayer. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we are just so thankful for your blessings and that the opportunity we have to know Jesus and to know the truth that sets us free. And Lord, we pray now that as we come together and we discuss ways to be better witnesses, that we might be energized by each other, 
that your Holy Spirit will just give us that, give us more love for souls, Lord. We know that's the greatest need. If we just would love souls the way Jesus does, then uh, we'd do anything to reach them. And also then give us the knowledge. Give us the heart, Lord, and give us the knowledge and uh, the boldness to reach those that are perishing. I pray also we'll not forget that this is a matter of life and death for so many. And thank you for the privilege that we can be channels that will communicate this life. Bless the whole ASI weekend for that purpose, Lord, that we all might be inspired by all the programs and presentations to be your witnesses. We pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.